Eerily haunting true stories about remote abandoned locations rich in history. Come with us now travels from state to state, if you dare. <laughs> Be the last time anybody sees us alive. I don't know where she has a full hand something filled. Hello? Gina, there is a beehive over there. Do you see that in the hole? Buckle up, buttercup. Welcome to 50 States of Madness. Welcome to 50 States of Madness. Hi, good afternoon. Hi. I'm Hi. Shannon. I'm Gina. What's going on? Nothing much. Nothing uh, much. No, not at all. Football season started. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah. How about them Steelers? <laughs> <laughs> Did they win this past weekend? I didn't see a game. Did they play their preseason? Roll. I mean, it's preseason. Yeah. So, you know, I can celebrate and whatever. No, shoot. A and everybody, I don't even know. Everybody, uh, you know, my my new boss is a Cowboy fan. I'm so sorry. And so he's got, you know, the office decorated in Cowboys, I, got a yeah. Cowboys flag hanging in the classroom. And so I came to work and... Like he's like a, a like a diehard fan. So I came to work last Friday because we played Thursday night. I was like, hey, like you want to talk football? He's like, it's just preseason. It's just preseason. I was like, oh, okay, okay. I see. All right. That's how we're doing it. It's just yeah. preseason. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, so I'm excited for football. Yeah, so am I. Well, tomorrow I'm going to USC. To watch USC. I don't play like college Nevada. ball. I can't I do college, college ball football. because there's too many rules. It's a little different than the NFL. It is a little they've, different. They've actually added like some, they're kind of pretty similar now, but like a couple, not a couple years ago, but probably like say 10 years ago, the rules were a lot different for college football. There was a lot more rules in college football than there was in the NFL. And I was just like, I can't get behind it. It would just confuse me. I'd be like, why did they call that? Why did they call that? Like, it was just too much for me. I think some, in some ways they're different. They're more lenient in other ways. They're a little bit stricter. So it just kind of goes back and forth. But yeah, if you, but me, I can watch both. I love them both. But before we start, I want to ask you something. I put up a Patreon episode, like a little snippet of a Patreon episode. Okay. And it was, I was just giving them like a little you know, the Patreon's a little taste of what I get to deal with and, and, um, the behind the scenes, I get to be surrounded with, uh, before we record every week. So I posted it and I always, I always send it. I always send our Patreon videos to uncle creepy because he, um, he always promotes the show. He always is like, He's just like a good tech guy and like he's just he's always on it. And so I just want to read you some messages that he sent for you. But it was my singing video. uh, But yeah, so he was just he was completely blown away by your. I tell you. Well, here's the thing. So I search. So I posted star search. I don't even know where I got star search back in the 80s. (laughs) Not even American Idol star search. I posted uh, I posted on the Patreon you doing karaoke to Jesse Reyes lover. But then I privately messaged him a couple of your videos that I wish to God I could post on social media, but I cannot. 
So I'm, I'm heartbroken that I am not able to share these videos with everybody, but I did share a couple of them with creepy. And one of them was when we were in the parking lot at the gym and you were singing on your, your carpool karaoke. You sent him that one. Yeah. I sent him the one of you singing Tupac. If you, if anybody out there is familiar with Tupac, she was singing hit him up and she had never heard the song before. So how did I do? So she was, is it the hit him up, hit him up? No, no. no. Okay. <laughs> she doesn't remember <laughs> what she was singing. But anyway, he, he sent me multiple messages about how just obsessed he is with your, your singing and he wants you to go by the stage name of MC ADHD. I get it. <laughs> he thinks that that would be good for you. So he 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 messaged me and he said, I was wondering, does Shannon or would she take karaoke video requests? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. OK, I, I figured would. that that you would. I would. So he's already sent you one. So I'll share that with you after we're done recording. If anybody, if anybody has any requests from songs that they would like Shannon to sing, rap, whatever, then this is amazing. You guys can just my, DM my, us. My and, dream has come true. Yeah. I'm getting song requests. That's hilarious. Yeah. He's, um, he's very team Shannon. So, All right. Yeah. Thank you. So I told him if he was ever in the LA area, um, hit us up cause he, yeah. he wants to meet we'll go you. To, we'll go to a karaoke bar for sure. I told him that I would wait to ask you like live on air so you couldn't <laughs> prepare so he would see your actual true reaction reaction I when am, I asked you. But I'm I said a, I am she's so going to be like she's going to be really excited to know that people are going to like send her request because this came upon because I told him I had invited you to go see Frankie Perez and you had never heard of him so you downloaded all of his music you learned his songs and then we went to Vegas and you sang every single song with him. Yes. So I said, and where was that other place? We, we went to a bar and I, it was a bar in a skating rink. Was it? No, the, it was a bowling alley. A bowling alley. Brooklyn bowl. Oh no. Brooklyn bowls in no, Vegas. No, it was uh, here. Yes. Um, Lucky strike. Lucky strike. Lucky strike here. And, and she sang my, with Oh my God. That was, I'm going to get chills. My favorite moment is when he came down and I had the mic and I was singing along with him. That was my favorite, favorite moment. I'll never yeah. forget it. Yeah. So, so, um, so that's how that came about. And then, so he wants to know if he can send requests. So if anybody else out there has requests. Yeah. And if nobody has heard Frankie Perez live, please, you need to hear him live. Nothing like the voice of an angel. He, he, He's amazing regardless. Like my favorite. Yeah. He's amazing regardless. But when you, when I downloaded all the songs and I learned them and stuff, I knew he was great. Mm -hmm. But, but it, to hear him live, but is to just... hear him live was just magical. Mm -hmm. Like he became my favorite artist yep. after I heard him live. Yep. So nothing like him. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So he's so creepy. He's very familiar with Frankie Perez. So maybe you can, that's his, you right can there. also, I can record you singing some of his, some of Frankie's songs I have too. a few of his on repeat on my playlist. Yeah. That just goes over and over that I love. There's yeah. three of them I know that just. Well, repeat. maybe you can start with those three and then. I'll create an album. Yeah. <laughs> well, today <clears throat> we are going to do another serial killer. 
who I had never heard of before. I've never heard of him either. Until I started researching. But it's because it's a serial killer who hasn't been caught. Right. So it's somebody who's out there. They just don't know who this person is. I always wonder how many there are out there that haven't been caught. I'm sure there are so many. Mm-hmm. And it's in a location that's similar, I would think, not geographically similar, but yeah. just similar to the killing fields. Right, right. So it the name that they dubbed him attracted me to this per, mm-hmm. to this actual particular um, article, and he's known as the West Mesa Bone Collector. So I thought that name, I was like, wait a second, what is this about? Yeah, so, that's, uh, I mean, to be a bone collector, I don't know. Yeah. So this is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it's a quiet city of roughly 500,000 people with a crime rate more than double the national average. In 2007, the city's only missing persons detective had a list of 16 sex workers who had disappeared in the city between 2001 and 2006. In 2009, 11 remains would be found in Albuquerque's West Mesa. Eventually, nine women from the detective's list would be later identified. The West Mesa is a stretch of land on a high desert plateau that rises up over the Rio Grande in New Mexico. Based on many scenarios, it would seem that Albuquerque's West Mesa has long been a dumping ground for gangs, pimps, and drug dealers. So that's where I'm like, it's kind of similar because that's how they kind of described the killing fields as a dumping ground. Well, and same thing with Long Island serial killer, you know, with yeah. the sex workers and, you know, they're just out there in the open marsh and they're, it's just a dumping ground. A dumping ground. Yeah. And I, and I would think the killing fields too. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of those are, were women that, you know, led yeah. a very um, high risk lifestyle. Yeah. So it took the Albuquerque police weeks to uncover all the bodies which were scattered over a 92-acre swath of land owned by a home developer. That's a big area. Huge. I don't even know what, what it would be 92, equivalent in 92 miles. acres. So the killing fields is 45 acres. So it's wow. double the killing fields. And the killing fields goes from Houston to Galveston. And when the women were first left in this area, there was nothing around. But, you know, as they started developing... Um, more homes, more people. They started, it started encroaching yeah. onto this area. Right. It took nearly a year to identify the victims. Satellite images between 2003 and 2005, which I find amazing, and I never thought about that before, mm-hmm. is to look at satellite images. Right. Show tire marks coming in and out of the area along with disturbed dirt patch. Imagine flying a drone. Yeah. Over that. I just think like, you know, you're comparing like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, um, so you can kind of get a timeline of when these women were left because now, oh, there's a new dirt patch. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's, you know. Well, and these are probably areas that aren't traveled very much. So it's like, why would a car even be in there? Yeah. It's, yeah. It was why are there tire tracks area. there? Yeah. Yeah. In 2006, when a housing development began to encroach on the area to build a retaining wall to keep some of the area from flood- flooding, this had exposed the bones to the surface. On February 2nd, 2009, Christine Ross went out to walk her dog, Ruka. She lived at Westside Albuquerque in a beautiful suburban neighborhood where families felt safe. She walked her dog to an area that was cleared to make room for a new housing development, so she took her dog off the leash. Ruka was super excited to be running around the lot, but soon after returned carrying something in his mouth. It appeared to be a stick or broken piece of wood. 
But as the dog got closer, she saw that it was a bone. She took a picture of it and sent it to her sister, who was a nurse, and she confirmed that it was human remains. That That's, it did. That we've done. We've had a couple stories where the, the killing the killing fields was actually one of them, um, the where co- a dog yeah. brought, and then it was also um, the one where um, baby. What's the little girl who was yeah. found 40 years later? Tina and Dean Klaus, right? Yeah. But the, the baby. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. Where the dog had found the bone. Yeah. So the sister, who was a nurse, um, confirmed that it was a human fe- femur, which is Ooh. the thigh bone. Authorities were called out to the intersection of 118th Street and Dennis Chavez Boulevard on the southwest Mesa of Albuquerque. And the remains of 11 women and girls were found between the ages of 15 years old and 32 years old. 32 years old. Oh my God. Along with one fetus. All but one of the women were known to be involved with drugs and sex. So one was pregnant. Yeah. It was the most horrific murder case Albuquerque has ever seen. While serial killers are not uncommon in the Western United States, New Mexico's largest city had never dealt with one before. Police promised the families of the victims that solving the murders was a top priority. And initially that seemed to be the case. Investigators assembled a team of detectives, bringing in FBI profilers and working with law enforcement agencies around the state to try to figure out how the bones of 11 women had wound up in the desert. Now it's more than 14 years after the first body was discovered. Police still have no official suspects and Albuquerque has largely forgotten about what was once known as the city's crime of the century. Dirk Gibson, a professor at the University of New Mexico, who has written two books on serial killers, said that a combination of remoteness of time and geography made it so that there has been little pressure on the police to investigate. Officially, the cause of death for all 11 women was homicidal violence, but the truth was medical examiners and forensic experts couldn't determine how the victims had been killed. No witnesses have come forward, and there was virtually no forensic evidence at the burial site which meant that there was nothing to tie the victims together except their shared grave and high-risk lifestyles. And we're going to find out, too, as we start reading, is that a lot of the women knew each other. So um, as far as we're concerned, like the sex work industry there, like a lot of them ran in the same circles. Right, right. George Walker, a private investigator, started receiving cryptic, taunting phone calls and emails from someone claiming to have information about the killer, but the lead still hasn't panned out. He states that there's a possibility the killer has come and gone. Serial killers move, and that's why they don't get caught, Walker said. If he didn't get caught, I'm sure there are more victims somewhere. He could possibly be on the loose in New Mexico or another state. And we talked about that with Rex Humerman, who yeah. traveled to South Carolina, who traveled to Nevada. Yeah. So, I mean... They can be anywhere, anyone. I mean, it could be multiple. They just have no idea. The reason why they're tying them together is because of the location in the shared grave. So Right. Even though, like, with the the Long Island serial killer, you know, they shared, like, a, a common grave, I guess, or dumping area, but they were killed in two different ways. You know, you had the... Um, the four girls that were in the burlap sacks and they were bound and then you have the other ones that were dismembered. So it's like, is that the same person? Is that two different people? Is it somebody trying to change things up to throw people off? Is it, you know? And it's so hard when they're, they find the body so long after they were buried 
Yeah. And the weather, it's just there's nothing left to determine yeah. the cause of death or how they were killed. Yeah. Uh, for, and with this, like, you know, it's hard because, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, again, once again, once sex work is involved, they just kind of like, meh. They find out who the victims are and then they're disinterested. Yeah. And they're not really pursuing it. Yeah. And that's really sad. It is. Yeah. Um, so one victim was Evelyn Salazar. She was 27 years old in 2004 at the time of her disappearance and was the 10th West Mesa bone collector victim to be identified. She and her cousin, Jamie Barella, who was the final 11th skeleton to be identified, went missing after going to the park together. Jamie was only 15 years old. Jamie's mother stated that she left the house in such a hurry that she left her curling iron on. Jamie was just a normal teenager. She had no ties to prostitution or drugs and only once ran away from home. On the contrary, Evelyn had a history of sex work and used drugs in the past. Still, she was a caring mother for her two daughters, Mariah and Angel, as well as an excellent cook. Both cousins went to a family gathering on the day they vanished, which was set to take place at a park near the International Sunport. When they didn't come back home, their families got worried. Jamie had none of her personal belongings with her because she had plans when she got back home. About a week later, the two were reported missing. Monica Candelario was 21 years old when she vanished. Monica was loved dearly by her family since her birth on June 20th, 1981. She was still young when she gave birth to a son and led a high-risk lifestyle convicted of prostitution once. She might also have had ties to local gangs in Albuquerque. It's also possible that she was struggling with substance abuse. About two weeks after her disappearance on May 15, 2003, a missing persons report was filed for her. Despite attempts of her family to find her, Monica's case became cold until her discovery in 2009. Isabel Candelaria said at Monica's memorial that God answered my prayers. I asked if I can put her to rest before I go, and he did. Monica had a way to get into your heart. Her laughter. She had the most beautiful laugh. I can still hear it. They used the memorial as a time to remember the happiness she brought to their lives. God, some of these are so sad. They are. Um, the next one is Victoria Chavez, 26. She disappeared on June 5th, 2003. However, more than a year passed until her mother reported her missing. Oh, man. I think a lot of times because these girls... They made a habit of disappearing and coming yeah, and back, coming disappearing back. and coming back. Yeah. So, how sad. Um, she was convicted of prostitution five times, and the missing persons report describes her as a known drug user and prostitute. Victoria was reported missing by her family in 2004. In 2009, her remains were the first to be identified after being found intact in a grave 18 inches deep in the New Mexico desert of, of west of Albuquerque. They were identified through dental records provided by the family when they reported mis- when they reported her missing. Virginia Cloven was 27 years old and lived in the outskirts of Albuquerque in a trailer with her family in Los Chavez. She was said to be a fun-loving young girl who had a positive impact on people around her until her brother was murdered. Tensions at home escalated and she ran away from home to live with her grandparents before living with her subsequent boyfriends, one of whom was a convicted criminal. By 17 years old, she was homeless and fell into prostitution and substance abuse after cutting off most of the contact with her family and friends. She was last seen on April 13, 2004 in the same area that the other victims would also disappear. 
That day, she called her family to tell them that she was probably going to marry a man who was just released from prison. After not receiving any more phone calls for months, Robert, Virginia's father, reported her disappearance to police in October. Cloven's remains were found together with the other West Mesa bone collector victims in a curious addition. A plant bag that was found to have contained a spearmint juniper, an evergreen tree commonly commonly used in landscape design. And I just kind of want people who are listening just to kind of remember that because it's going to tie back to right. maybe one of the suspects. Right. So. Uh, Solania Edwards was 15 years old at the time of her murder and was the only African-American and the only victim with ties outside of New Mexico of the West Mesa Bone Collector. She was from Lawton, Oklahoma, and she was only five years old when her mother went to jail. At that point, she was placed in custody of the Department of Human Services in a home for victims of abuse and neglect. She was living in Lawton, Oklahoma when she ran away. Police said that she was in Aurora, Colorado in May of 2004 and may have associated with prostitutes in that city. It is not known when and how she traveled to Albuquerque. Unlike other victims, she had no friends and family who could give additional information about her affairs or report her missing in the first place. Police officers suspect that she may have been a sex worker along the I-40 interstate corridor and that she was traveling alongside three other women under a pseudonym. Police say that she was killed sometime between 2004 and 2005. These are all like within... Yeah, it's all together. That's like two or three years of each other. Yeah, I would think... She's a busy person or people. Yeah, it's super close to each other, and they were all discovered all at the same time. So... Doreen Marquez was born August 31st, 1976 to David Marquez and Dorothy Gonzalez in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She was a 27-year-old mother at the time of her disappearance on October 10th, 2003. And you're going to see that most of them were mothers. Yeah. She had two daughters named Destiny and Mercedes. Doreen had a cheerful personality and cared for her daughters a lot. However, after her boyfriend was in prison, Doreen turned to drugs. Her mother ended up taking custody of her children and kicked her out of the family home. However, she told her she could return on the condition that she stopped using drugs. On that October day, she officially went missing. She was seen dropping off her friend's son at the Calvary Christian Academy. However, a friend came forward to say that Doreen was actually last seen in a downtown neighborhood. She was reported missing in December of 2004, more than a year later, because the family was not sure whether she was actually missing. She would often just vanish and reappear after a couple of months. But this time she actually disappeared and would never come back home. And Marquez had no known history of involvement with sex work. Not to say that she wasn't, but right. they're saying that no she was never yeah, she was never arrested for it. Yeah. So Cinnamon Elks was thirty two years old when she went missing. She also was friends with three of the other victims, Victoria Chavez, Gina Michelle Valdez, and Julie Nieto. Cinnamon disappeared from Albuquerque, New Mexico on August 20th, 2004. A missing persons report was filed on December 15th, 2004. In March 2009, her body was identified. Diana Willem, the mother of Cinnamon Elks, said that every time they find a body, you think, oh dear, is this it? And then she received the news she's been dreading. Now Cinnamon's loved ones are finally getting answers. But, in, but it's the ending they hoped they wouldn't have to face. Diana reflected on her daughter's life and said that drugs stole everything from her. 
She had two children addicted to drugs. They start stealing your checks, forging them for money. And from there, I don't know if it is shame. They quit coming home at all, Diana said. Growing up, Cinnamon was near was a near-perfect child. However, when she was a teenager, she began to get into trouble. She eventually became addicted to drugs and alcohol and was arrested on numerous occasions. To support her drug habit, Cinnamon stole checks and forged Diana's name on them. Eventually, Cinnamon turned to prostitution to earn money she needed for drugs. Because of her dependency on drugs, Cinnamon missed out on raising her own two children. She would disappear for long periods of time and then return with the intent of becoming sober. During the many times she was gone, Cinnamon would always remember to call Diana on her birthday. However, in the summer of 2004, Cinnamon stopped calling home. Cinnamon had been staying with a guy named Art Johnson, a.k.a. Bennett, in Albuquerque before she vanished. Art, who Diana described as weird, was the one who called Diana and told her that he was worried because Cinnamon was missing. Diana said that Art claimed that he and Cinnamon were roommates, but she mainly just used his place to keep her, keep her clothes at. They reportedly were not a couple. Johnson lived 13 miles from the Central Avenue location where many of the victims frequented. Shortly before her August 2004 disappearance, Cinnamon would tell her friends that a dirty cop was chopping off the heads of prostitutes and burying them on the West Mesa. According to Diana, Cinnamon once took off to El Paso, Texas with some other people. Diana says she is unsure of the reason for the trip to Texas, but suspects they were meeting with the Mexican cartel that did business in Albuquerque. Diana now feels that Cinnamon may have known too much, and for that reason, she was killed. She also claimed that one of the victims, Virginia Cloven, had called her to tell her that Cinnamon and Gina Michelle Valdez were murdered long before the bodies were discovered. So, I mean, when we went to Texas at the beginning of the year, we stayed one night in El Paso. Yes. And the cartel is the the real thing. Like, it's... It's uh, nothing like I expect. Like, I didn't expect to be that close to the border. Our motel. I had no idea. Our parking lot was on the gate. (laughs) Literally the fence behind our motel was the border Mm -hmm. fence. Yeah, I didn't. um, I was a little creeped out by that, too. Only because I know there's so much riffraff going on right there. There is. There's a lot of crime on that side of the border. And yeah. I'm trying to think of the town that sits on the other side of there. It's a Juarez. Oh yeah. Juarez. Juarez. Yeah. And, um, it's known for it's crime and drug and the cartel. Yeah. And I, um, I told Shannon that if we, well, first of all, if we ever go back to Texas, we're flying. Yeah. I'm not making that drive again. <laughs> it was a long drive. Um, but if for some reason we have to drive, we're not staying in El Paso. No, I that was that was scary, especially just for the two of just us. Just for two of us, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so that was really scary. Gina Michelle Valdez was 22 years old when she disappeared on September 22, 2004. Dan Valdez, Gina's father, reported her missing in February of 2005. While she already had two children, Angelica and Jeremiah, she was four months pregnant when her body was discovered years later in February 2009. 
Jackson, Gina's mother, was devastated that somebody would do this to my daughter and dump her like she was a piece of trash and leaving her lying out there with no dignity. I am devastated and angry. Angelica Garcia was four years old when her mom went missing. Not having my mom was hard, she said. According to Gina's father, she was a fun-loving girl. She brought light into the room when she came in. She was always happy-go-lucky. Hardly ever was she down. It has taken a while to settle in only because I'm reminded every day about it. So I don't have any time to myself to really sit down and mourn. God only knows why this had to happen to her because she didn't deserve it. And neither, neither did the other women. Julie Nieto was 23 years old when she disappeared from Albuquerque, New Mexico on July 15, 2004. She was reported missing by two women by the names of Melody Carmona and Angela Romero. These women, it appears, reported her missing separately via telephone, and they did so one month apart. They both claimed to be related to Julie Nieto. However, upon interviewing Julie's real family, it was discovered that neither Carmona or Romero were related to Julie. That's just weird. Yeah. They don't. That's that's like a red flag to me. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah. This led police supervisor Carmen Spratley to report that Angela Romero and Melody Carmona were both persons of interest in this case. In March 2009, her body was identified as one of the victims found in Mesa. Her mother, Eleanor Grego, remembers the last time she saw her was on the day Julie's grandfather father had an outpatient procedure done. Sometime after that, Julie's son had a surgery scheduled and Julie was a no-show. It was then when Eleanor knew something was terribly wrong. Eleanor stated that Julie would never have missed her son's surgery. That's when Eleanor and an aunt of Julie's reported her missing, and that's when they found out Julie had already been reported missing by Angela Romero and Melody Carmona. Julie had a sister, Valerie, that she was very close to. Both sisters had a drug problem. Valerie had been arrested once, and while in jail, she wrote a note to her family stating that both she and Julie had been threatened. The family speculated from the note that the threat was over missing drugs. Many other stories surfaced, including them being chased and they had to run for their lives. They had also reported to the families that they had once been taken to Manzano Mountains, an hour outside of Albuquerque by a truck driver who then brutally raped them. Also, Julie was terrified of a police officer named David who had called for her at her grandfather's house once. Right before Julie went missing, she stored some of her belongings at her grandfather's house. After she went missing, her stuff was stolen from the shed they were in. In 2007, Julie's sister Valerie was found dead in a hotel room from an overdose. However, her family believes that her death was suspicious and that the sister's deaths are related somehow. Eleanor stated that after Julie went missing, but before Valerie passed, that Valerie had been arrested and called from jail saying they killed her. They killed her. So there's a lot of suspicion like we found in other stories with the crooked police. Yeah. This one's with drugs. It's funny how you kind of see the same story thread when it has to be dealt yeah. with like prostitution and I mean, a lot of cover up. <clears throat> yeah. And we just read a lot about that too in the last story that we did too. And yeah. it all has to do with sex workers. You know, it's, it makes you think. Yeah. Same story. Yeah. 
Veronica Romero was 27 when she was reported missing by her family on February 14, 2004. She was last seen a couple weeks prior when, according to witnesses, she got into a white pickup truck at the corners of Wyoming Boulevard and Central Avenue in Albuquerque. Veronica was an only child growing up, but had a large extended family and very close friends. She had five children of her own, and when she went missing, the whole family distributed missing flyer posters. They felt that the police were not doing much to help find her. Veronica was the seventh victim to be identified from West Mesa. Um, so now we're gonna, going to talk a little bit about the suspects yeah, in there, this case. There are a few. So police believe the women were all murdered by the same person, but no official suspect has been arrested and charged. In 2010, an award of $100,000 was offered for any information that leads to an arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for these murders. The police began looking into a list of people of interest. One person of interest was a pimp by the name of Fred Reynolds. He knew one of the missing women and had photos of missing sex workers. However, he died in January 2009. And that's another thing, too, that happens a lot is sometimes, unfortunately, by the time, you know, these are cold cases, but by the time detectives get around to working these cases, a lot of the people have passed away. Yeah. So, yeah. So what do you do? Another potential suspect was a man named Lorenzo Montoya, who lived only three miles from the burial site. In 2006, there were dirt trails that led from the burial site to his trailer park. He was known to be violent, making death threats to his girlfriend, saying that he would kill her and bury her in Lyme. He was also arrested twice for violent attacks on sex workers. In December 2006, Lorenzo strangled a teenage sex worker in his trailer and was then and was then shot and killed by her pimp when he caught Montoya carrying her half-naked body to his truck. After that, the murders seemed to have stopped. So a lot, some of the families believe that Lorenzo Montoya was the person who did this. Right. So I think it just depends on the girls' stories and where they were at, where the parents It's a lot to investigate, and it's like, so when you think about how many, like, the clientele that these girls have whole list of suspects i mean where do you start it's and then is it even one of them is it somebody that they know was it just a random like were they just an outlier were they part of a serial killer you don't know and already we went through two suspects and already the first two suspects they're dead already right so they can't even be questioned Mm -hmm. in august 2010 police looked into a photographer and businessman named ron Irwin, who had several properties in joplin missouri They searched those properties and confiscated thousands of photos he took. He would visit the New Mexico State Fair, which is held near the burial site, but they cleared Edwin as a suspect because they did not find anything that tied him to the murders. However, I wanted to point out, some of the photos they found, though, the police are still asking for help to identify some of the women because we're going to put them up here, and I just want to, you know, give a little, I don't know, uh, what do you call it when you say, like, a little precursor like i want to tell people to beware oh okay what is it what do you call that a little a, warning a little a warning yeah. thank you i was like what are you t- oh my god a little warning. it's getting worse <laughs> i want to i just want to give people a warning before you look up if you're looking at youtube some of these photos might not be appropriate yeah or you might graphic. not be ready they're pretty graphic it just 
they're women who are unconscious in these photos. Oh God. And they're different women. And so, um, just, you know, we're going to put a few of them up, but police are still searching to identify some of these women and they don't know if their bodies could be out there buried. Yeah. Um, and still haven't been found. Right. So in 2014, the, be- the police began looking into a man named Joseph Blee. He came under suspicion due to his odd behavior and repeated stalking of sex workers in the area. He would frequently expose and stalk sex workers along a street known for prostitution, Central Avenue. And that's very important because the other girl, one other girl that we mentioned, she was picked up in a white pickup truck. Mm-hmm. At the corner of Wyoming Boulevard and Central, Central Avenue. Avenue. The girls, and I didn't mention the street, but the girls that the two sisters who claimed that they were being chased down mm-hmm. a street, it was Central Avenue. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this street is known for this type of activity. And in one article, it was described as a war zone. So there Sounds was. Sounds like Beach Boulevard. Yeah, there was a lot happening. Yeah. In Stanton. Yeah. California. <laughs> Not that we're <laughs> want people to head there. No. <laughs> so his ex-wife, April Gillen, asked Albuquerque police to investigate him since he was previously accused of raping a 14-year-old girl with a screwdriver. He was dubbed the mid-school rapist for some of his activities in the 1980s. He would break into homes of 13 to 15-year-old girls and rape them. They had DNA on the suspect, but it was not until 2010 when the DNA was retested and linked Blee to the rapes. In 2015, Blee was also suspected by police of killing a sex worker. His DNA sample was located on the inner waistband and belt of a sex worker found dead on a notorious street for sex work in the eastern part of the city. In addition, a tree tag from a nursery was found in the area where Virginia Cloven's body was buried. It was tracked to a nursery Blee once frequented. Blee would buy plants from nurseries that s- would buy plants from nurseries that sold plants from California. So I don't know if that made sense, but he would go to these nurseries who sold plants from California. The spearmint juniper was traced back to a nursery in California. Mm. So that's why I said about that, the spearmint that, yeah. juniper that was mm-hmm. found near the body of Virginia yeah. Cloven. Lee had women's underwear and jewelry not belonging to his wife or daughter in his home and allegedly told a cellmate that he had hired the West Mesa victims who he called trashy. Blee in in the mid-school rape case was sentenced to 36 years in June 2015 at 58 years of age. So he is one of the suspects who could be tied to some of the girls. Maybe not all of them, but I just find like it's funny how each one that they mention, very Mm-hmm. Good possibility. It could be that they're all the killers of some of the girls. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of coincidences, but again, not enough. And and I feel too like that could happen in like a lot of cases is where there's a lot of evidence that points towards them, but is it enough? It, it, could it be them? This one and this one, they do have DNA. So if they yeah. can get DNA, yeah, this from the one girls, is a little, you know. And I'm sure with the ones with the ones who were kill, shot and killed, could they get DNA? I don't know, you know, a lot about it, but could they get it if they um, extracted them? I can't think of words from their grave site <laughs> and grabbed. <laughs> I <can't> exhumed. <laughs> okay, exhumed them. From 
<laughs> I can't extract. think of <laughs> You get a I tooth can. extracted. Okay, same thing. <laughs> Just pull them out. Just pull them out from there and grab their DNA. Can we do that from, I mean, I guess if we can do it from bodies who have passed away, we can do it from theirs as well. I would well. imagine. I mean, I and feel like them. today they can do anything. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like interested. today it's it nothing, you know, they can do anything. Yeah. So I'm hoping they catch them eventually now that they're finding the bodies. Right. Well, they found the bodies, but now that DNA is getting better. Well, it's been 14 years though. Just get on it. Since the 11 women and girls have been identified, eight more missing women whose disappearances may be connected to the murders may also be linked to the same serial killer. All eight women were reported missing between 2005 and 2006 and were in the same line of work. The past 14 years, Ida Lopez, a retired investigator working for the Albuquerque Police Department, is determined to find justice for what she calls her girls. I feel like that happens a lot, like, especially when we were talking to like Gil Carrillo and stuff, like they become personally invested in these cases. And like, this is what they eat, sleep, drink, everything like this is, you know, their life. They're determined to solve it. Yes. She has taken on the responsibility of learning as much as she can about these girls and found that most of them came from disadvantaged backgrounds. And I have to say, while researching for this that a lot of the information came directly from her on what these girls were doing who they were yeah interviews with the families yeah to just get a sense of who they were who they were yeah outside of i think that plays work. a big part in you got to know what crowd they hung around with what kind of crowd they hung around with you know their people what they did that yeah. plays a big role in all this you know Absolutely. But again, takes a lot of time yeah, to, to figure all that out. Uh, working alongside her is another retired investigator, Elizabeth Thompson. In July 2018, there was a false alarm when a construction crew discovered human remains near the site where the 11 West Mesa victims were discovered. The state office of the medical investigator quickly determined they were likely Native American bones circa 1100 to 1300 unrelated to the disappearances. That's crazy. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Out there, yeah. On the 13th anniversary of the discovery of the remains, Ida Lopez stated that this is someone who had access to the women. This is somebody who was very comfortable with the place that he buried the girls, had conce- had concealment, it's someone who prays, who's out there, who's a predator. These women were loved. Each one has a unique story and their families want answers. And we were dedicated to finding those answers. So I'm going to list um, the women that are missing that haven't been found at all. That she's still investigating to see what happened to these women outside of the other, the other ones that yeah. were found. Martha Jo Lucher was 32 years old when she was reported missing by her mother in September 2003 after she hadn't been in contact with her family or children. Witnesses said that she and a friend were coming and going from a street corner and Martha never returned. In 2009, after women were found buried on the West Mesa site, Martha's friend told investigators about a possible suspect and said she was worried about her when she she hadn't seen her in years. Martha knew at least two of the women found at the West Mesa site. And like we said, like a lot of these women traveled in the same circles. They kind of all knew each other. Yeah, they're connected in yeah. some way. 
She went missing in 2003 in between the disappearance of two of the victims. But it's unknown if she was a victim of the same killer and perhaps due to circumstances, the killer decided or was forced to dispose of her body elsewhere. Anna Vigil was 20 years old when she was last seen in Albuquerque, New Mexico on January 21st, 2005. She has never been heard from again. She was reported missing on January 29th. Anna had been arrested for prostitution for the first time during a vice sting, according to Lopez's notes. When she was released from jail, dropped off downtown around midnight, she called her father for a ride. By the time he arrived, she was no longer there. Anna's boyfriend said that a couple days later, she went to Taco Bell to apply for a job, but he never heard from her again. Anna Vigil's mother, Stacy Love Vigil, spoke with the journal from her home in Arkansas and said her daughter had moved to Las Lunas to live with her father as a teenager because she had met a boy. She was at that age, 16, when that's the most important thing in the world. Stacy Vigil said, and to my chagrin, I said, okay, you know, well, if that's what you want to try, you could do the school year out there. But from that point on, literally things I think started spiraling. Anna Vigil had a son who was four months old when she went missing. Her son is now 16. Remembering her daughter as an absolute gorgeous baby who loved dressing up for Halloween. As she grew older, Stacy Vigil said she has no idea what happened to her, but she can't believe she's alive and hasn't contacted her or her son. My youngest daughter and I, she's 32 now, we talk sometimes and we'll say, what would you do if Anna walked through the door? I'd smack her in the face and kiss her at the same time. I'd say, how dare you? Come here. I love you. I would probably have the same type of reaction. If yeah, you're child. mad, you're angry, you're happy, you're ecstatic, you're to in shock. Like, what do you do? Yeah. Felipe Victoria Gonzalez was 23 years old when she went missing. She went by the name Vicky. On April 27, 2005, she was released from jail and her mother picked her up. As soon as they got home, Vicky said she was going for a walk, left, and was never seen again. Her mother reported her missing. Vicky did not have any arrests for prostitution, but according to Lopez's notes, friends and family said she would do that sometimes to pay for a heroin addiction. She frequented the area near West Central. Gonzalez had a two-year-old daughter who was staying with the child's father. She was struggling with postpartum depression. Vicky's mother said she doesn't like talking about it and it's hard enough carrying it in my heart, mind, and life. So she didn't really say much about Well, there we go with Central again, Central yeah. Avenue. Central Avenue, West Central. That whole area was known for crime. And then to know that she's suffering from postpartum. <clears throat> yeah. And addicted to heroin. Yeah, they? that's so, a, yeah. a terrible combination. Yeah. Nina Heron was 21 years old when she went missing in May of 2005. Nina didn't visit her parents' house to check on her four-year-old son for three days, so they got worried and reported her missing. She lived in southeast Albuquerque, and Lopez said it was known that on a few occasions, Nina did prostitute to support her drug and alcohol addiction. Growing up, Nina was a really good kid and had a heart of gold. She went to middle school and she was a cheerleader. She wanted to graduate, but the drugs got in her way. About three years after Nina went missing, her mom, her husband, and their grandson moved to 
Edgewood to get the boy out of Albuquerque. I want him to leave, live peacefully and without any worries because, you know, we worried all our lives. We give our worries to him, you know. Now she said she keeps up with the news about the West Mesa case and frequently calls Lopez. So I think a lot of these parents who have these girls missing, when they heard about the 11 that were found, Mm -hmm. it's like you don't want it to be them. But then again, you kind of do do because you want answers. You want answers. Yeah. So it's because then you at, at least, you know, like, okay, I don't have to sit here every night and wait for her to walk through the door. Yeah. You know what happened. Doesn't make it any better or any worse. It's just you need you need answers, you yeah. know. Jillian Ortiz Henderson was 19 years old when she was reported missing by her mother in March 2006. She was added to a list of missing women more recently. Shortly before her mother reported her missing, police were dispatched to a domestic disturbance call between Jillian and her boyfriend. Jillian's friends and family told police they worried about her because they said she worked the streets to support her heroin addiction. Chantel Waits was 29 years old and she went missing on March 15, 2006. She was the mother of four children, ages 4, 8, 12, and 14, all of whom were raised by her 74-year-old grandfather and his wife. Wow, that's a job. He hadn't heard a word from Chantel in seven months, which was a very long time for her to go with not contacting him. For that reason, he decided to report her missing, stating Chantel had had a difficult life and had been involved in drugs and was currently living as a transient. Wow. The last sighting of her was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, although it remains unclear when exactly this was. Initially, they thought she was one of the women found in the West Mesa, but it was a mistake. He died in 2017. That must be so hard. Like 74 years, 74 years old, taking care of children that age. By the time the four year old's 10, he's already in his eighties. Yeah. Leah Peebles was 23 when she disappeared. She moved from Fort Worth, Texas to Albuquerque, New Mexico on May 5th, 2006. She was temporarily residing with friends and disappeared on May 22nd, 2006. She left home to go on a date with a man she met at the Flying Star Cafe, where she planned to start working the following week. She never returned and has never been heard from again. Her vehicle later was found abandoned. Leah grew up in a middle-class Christian home in Fort Worth. Her parents stated she was molested by a distant relative as a toddler and raped by an acquaintance when she was 14. She was initially a good student at Carter Riverside High School and active as a cheerleader in drama and on the yearbook staff. But by her sophomore year, she had begun abusing drugs and alcohol and dropped out of her extracurricular activities. When Leah was 18, her parents put her in the Fort Worth Teen Challenge, a Christian residential drug and alcohol treatment facility for women. She stayed in the program for 21 months, graduated from cosmetology school, and took a job at a beauty salon, but soon relapsed and began using a variety of illegal drugs. She was convicted of drug offenses twice and served two short jail sentences. Leah was fired from her job at the salon after the second arrest, as her drug use had made her an unreliable employee. Her parents wanted her to return to rehab, but she decided to move to Albuquerque instead. She hoped to get a new start in life, making new and better friends, and stop her drug and alcohol abuse. After Leah disappeared, there were sightings of her reported in the Albuquerque area. The witnesses reported that she was calling herself Mia and working as a prostitute for a pimp called AJ, who supplied her with crack cocaine. Police questioned AJ, whose real name is Donald Sears, after he was arrested in Bakersfield, California. 
and he said he had never heard of Leah. Her father made about 11 trips to Albuquerque as well as Phoenix, Arizona, and Las Vegas to search for her. The last credible sighting was in the fall of 2006, and her father thought she may have been sold to a pimp in another city. Leah's father was killed in an accident in South Dakota in 2014. So we don't even really know if supposedly Leah is Mia. It right. kind of was like, yeah. they're saying there were sightings of her. Right. But this one's a huge mystery on what happened. Right. What to, happened to her? To her. Yeah. Vanessa Reed was 24 years old when she went missing on June 13th, 2006. Vanessa and her sister were living in a motel off East Central. There we have Central again. Mm -hmm. And were both involved in drugs and prostitution. Vanessa was last seen leaving the room after an argument with her sister and has never been heard from again. She was not reported missing until after the skeletal remains of the 11 women were found because her sister often used her information when she came into contact with the police. So this Vanessa Reed, her sister never even said like, hey, my sister never came back. She never, because now her sister, when she'd come in contact with the police, Vanessa Reed, she, she's Vanessa Reed. She'd yeah. start using her name. Yeah. So it was as if Vanessa never disappeared. Never, but when right. they started getting these bodies, then all of a sudden she's like, oh, that one of them could yeah, be my sister. Could be my sister. Yeah. Police in Albuquerque say that they are still investigating the West Mesa serial killings known officially as the 118th Street homicides. However, Albuquerque cops have also had their own internal problems to deal with. In late July, the city announced that the Department of Justice would monitor the Albuquerque Police Department after a civil investigation found that a pattern of excessive use of force, including deadly force, by officers resulted in 20 fatalities between 2009 and 2012 and concluded that the majority of these shootings were unconstitutional. Albuquerque and New Mexico law enforcement officials have also been wracked by sex, sex scandals in recent years, including accusations that a state police officer and an Albuquerque police officer sexually assaulted prostitutes. I'm... It's just unfortunate because it sounds like maybe a lot, maybe the families are right. A lot's not being done oh. for these women because of the corrupt internal investigations that are happening and the corruption that's happening yeah, internally within the police department. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Because you just, I don't know, I just think like, what if that was my kid? Yeah. So I know that was a lot to swallow and it was very similar, but I... The reason why we chose to look at this story is because I want to just make it that we're aware that it's not just a fluke what happened in the killing fields. It's not just, oh, once in a while what happened in Gilgo State Beach. These aren't flukes or this yeah. is happening across everywhere. the country mm -hmm. everywhere. everywhere where women are going missing. And it's just, and it's not talked about. Nothing's being done. Like I am surprised at how many women are going missing. It's like, I just really feel like um, a, not enough is being done to protect our women yeah. in the United States. And, and for them to have to turn to prostitution because there is not a lot of assistance out there single moms that are struggling in these neighborhoods and disadvantaged neighborhoods that 
and then this drug addiction, these drugs that are I out think there, we need just, to we need to definitely start with mental health. Yes. I think mental health is a huge problem. And I mean that's just a big thing to tackle. Yeah. Take it from it's, there. Yeah. It's very unfortunate. But thank you so much for listening this week. I definitely think that, like we've said in the other cases, that every victim is worth mentioning and worth talking about and having their story shared because, you know, they they all deserve to be talked about. And, Absolutely. you know, it's just, it's sad what this world has turned into, that this is, that there are so many like every week when we decide what we're going to talk about, there's just handfuls and handfuls of these cases out there that just, you know, it's, it's really sad that aren't Mm -hmm. sad. How many that, you know, that we have to choose from that you're not aware of Mm -hmm. and that I've never heard about before in my life. Just can't be human, the human race and get along. Yeah. You know, but thank you so much for listening. Um, definitely follow us. Um, please hit the subscribe, like, help us out, you know? Yeah. And Thank then, you. And we love your comments. We love hearing absolutely. your comments. Right. Feedback's great. We do try to respond to all of them. So yeah, keep them coming. If you have any information on this case or again, any other cases that you would like us to talk about, please just, you can DM us. You can comment on YouTube. We have Instagram. We have TikTok. All at 50 States of Madness. Uh, thank you to our Patreons for your support we will see you all next week and thank you to everybody who has purchased our merch we do have racerback tank tops and a coffee mug out hopefully a couple more little little gadgets to come so thank you yeah so thank you to everybody who supports us have a good week okay bye bye be safe